Just as a warning, this episode includes sensitive information, including references to suicide. After coming coming out with my story and taking the time to get myself healthy, which I didn't know it was possible. Like you understand people are stuck struggling. They don't know that there's a different way of life. I didn't know two and a half years after uh, getting treatment and asking for help myself, I'd be sitting where I am. I didn't know I'd be respected again. I didn't know I would be in leadership roles again. I had, I just thought I'd be this guy that, oh, see, too bad about Trevor. He was such a great guy and and uh, and too bad about those drugs, right? And we should be trying to teach some of these basic level counseling concepts to our super, like we need to care about people. We need, it starts with leadership because isolation is where addiction and mental health crises absolutely explode and thrive. Hello and welcome to Inside Construction, a podcast from the British Columbia Construction Association. I'm your host, Chris Atchison, president of the BCCA. We're bringing you this podcast series as part of our advocacy work, seeking to highlight the key issues affecting employers in BC's construction industry. We'll meet British Columbians who are affected by these issues professionally and personally. With their help, we'll shed some light on what's working, what isn't, and how private and public sector stakeholders can come together to ensure that BC's industry has what it needs to get the job done on time, on budget, and with the world-class outcomes we all expect. Today, we're talking about mental health and addiction within BC's construction industry. Most people are very aware that Canada is in the middle of an opioid crisis. According to the BC Coroner's Service, over 1,500 people have already died in 2021 due to illicit drug supply. That's a 24% increase over the same period last year. At the top of the show, you heard one of our guests say, isolation is where addiction and mental health crises absolutely explode and thrive. The pandemic has provided that isolation. It's been fueling a fire that was already burning thanks to synthetic opioids that are so widespread, a hundred times more powerful than morphine. As you'll hear from our guests in this episode, it's important to have open discussions about addiction and mental health issues and dig deeper to find the actual root causes. Today, we'll talk about the stigma that exists around mental health and addiction and how we start conversations to offer support for those in need. First, let me introduce you to Trevor Botkin, who you heard at the beginning of the episode. He's the executive director of HeroWork Victoria, a contracting business that aims to rebuild charity facilities. Trevor graciously agreed to share his own struggles with substance abuse and mental health issues. Yeah, I, um, like a lot of people in the trades, I came out of high school and I had no interest. I didn't do high school as a struggle for me. School in general, it just wasn't a great place and great time in my life. And uh, I graduated, um, I'd grown up on a farm, built a house and renovated a house with my family. So I had the aptitude. I was like, knew how to use a skill saw and tape measure. So it was a natural fit. And when I got there, I just fell in love with it. Trevor was on a successful career path, a foreman by the age of 25, and then a business owner by 30. He was motivated and ambitious and felt a sense of fulfillment from the work he was doing. As a young man with a promising career, he often went out for drinks with his team after work. These nights became more frequent, with Trevor sometimes not going home to his family. This was when he first realized he had a problem. 
and uh, and actually had a, a really embarrassing situation with my uh, my daughter where I passed out in the doorway and and she woke me up one morning and that was it I was like wow I'm, I can't control this I'm done unfortunately I didn't understand the difference in substances or the way I was using things and I thought just because I wasn't making the same mistakes and doing the the dumb stuff with uh, with drugs that it was somehow different for me and you know my story uh, of misusing things to make myself feel better or differently uh, covers alcohol it covers sex women work uh, working out the gym steroids food uh, spending money shiny things like you know I didn't know any of this stuff of course until I, I wound up in a, a residential treatment facility because my drug use had become it just consumed my life uh, in 2019. Trevor says he was at a point where he was ready to take his own life. When he ended up in a treatment facility, he realized that the only way to solve his problems was to change everything he was doing. I was, I had been struggling with my mental health for years and I kind of didn't know what that looked like or what the definition of that was, or I wasn't even aware of how it was showing up in my life. The patterns were so deep in me for so long. I just thought I was so broken and sick and couldn't understand. I just didn't think I could get through life without the drugs. Were you going through this alone, Trevor, or were, was there support along the way? Uh, did you were you too proud to reach out, or were you too confident in just thinking you had it under control? You know, uh, it's it's a strange thing. You know, the, uh, sometimes the most confident people, you know, I was are the people that are struggling the most. And um, for years and years and years, I had built a reputation uh, or a set of shoes for myself. Where I was known as the troubleshooter, the problem solver. So. You know, in that whole thing, I just didn't know it was okay to be not okay. I thought it was a weakness. I thought that I was going to lose my reputation. People would never count on me again. Um, I didn't think that leaders um, or people in my position struggled. And eventually, you know, the drugs uh, just start to consume you. My mental health really started turning. And I did feel very much alone. Um, But I was convinced that I'd never find a job again. I would, um, you know, if I stepped away from things and, and let somebody else do things, People will think I couldn't do it, and, and uh, I didn't want that. Looking back now, Trevor says there are so many things that could have been easily avoided if he had gotten help sooner. But as he mentioned, he didn't recognize the problems in his own pattern soon enough. Part of this, as he told me, was because of his tough guy mentality and the pride he took in his hard work. It's not uncommon to hear people in construction talk about paying their dues and being proud of their scars. But this mentality can add to the problem and prevent people from getting the help they need. Vicki Waldron has seen this firsthand. She is the executive director of the Construction Industry Rehabilitation Plan, a joint initiative from labor and unions that was set up in the early 80s. Today, it's a program that provides one-on-one counseling, as well as residential beds for those who need treatment. In addition to this, we offer services not only to our members, uh, but also to their family members as well. And that's that's a really important key piece of the programme. And what it really does is it acknowledges and recognises that um, mental health and substance use issues don't exist in a vacuum. Um, that often um, when there is that issue, there is an impact, there's a wider impact within the family. Um, and, and if we look outside of the family, we, there, there's an argument that, that actually there, it impacts the workplace as well, which we know that it does. And how would you describe the the evolution of the needs for services? How, how has that changed over the years? 
um, you know, ever since the the opioid epidemic was declared, we, we've just grown exponentially. We've just had year on year increases in numbers of people calling through. So, for example, last year we had over six thousand calls in twenty twenty for um, people uh, seeking services and help. We know that construction workers are dying in the opioid epidemic. BCCA has taken a look at the statistics, and we caution against painting opioids as simply a construction issue because it primarily comes down to demographics. Opioid-related poisonings and deaths are higher among men. The rate of hospitalization due to opioid poisoning is also higher among men. And in BC, men made up more than 80% of illicit drug overdoses. The greater risk of men experiencing opioid poisonings and death may be, in part, due to riskier forms of substance use by men. Men are also less likely to seek medical help and even less likely to seek mental health support. In our industry, which is 94% male, the demographic aspects of opioid abuse and addiction are often attributed to the industry, to construction being the root cause. I don't say this to be defensive or as an excuse. This information underscores why it's important for our industry to play a leading role in tackling the opioid epidemic. It's important for us to understand the data and why construction is particularly affected. For me personally, realizing that the problem in construction is largely a reflection of our demographics helps us find solutions and underscores the importance of worksite culture in keeping our industry safe. We have to be there for our people. Vicky agrees that this issue requires all hands on deck. We also know that mental health issues are quite prevalent within within our industry as well. I always caution when we talk about um, these these issues that are occurring in, in construction because I think, you know, it's easy to kind of say, well, this is just construction. And I, and I kind of say, well, we have to look a bit deeper. We have to understand what's going on a bit more. Vicky described what's happening in the construction industry as the perfect storm. You have an industry that is historically, um, for, for generations, predominantly men. We have a society that raises men not to talk about mental health issues and, and to be very macho and, um, you know, really kind of tough it out. You have an industry that has a 77% higher injury rate when compared to other industries. Now, that number is 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 very high, but it also it's also a number that makes sense. It's not due to negligence or you know that kind of thing. It's it's a number that makes sense because we have an industry where it's physically demanding work. You have um, men who are conditioned not to be talking about mental health and and substance use. You have um, an industry that is also um, losing more workers than we are able to to fill in terms of positions. Right? It's a highly competitive industry, so you have. All of these, this this entire mixture together really is um, the perfect storm in my mind for what we're seeing today, which is the, the, the opioid epidemic and the absolutely devastating impact that it's having on, on our industry. How do you balance the need to address this issue against our responsibility to not cast a disparaging light on an industry that is declared essential, it's struggling to attract talent? and it's already battling cultural stigma as an undesirable career path. How do we balance this? If we focus on numbers and if we're talking about it's this bad versus this bad, we're, we're missing the point. You know, whether it's, you know, arbitrarily, if I say, you know, whether it's 100 or whether it's 50, whatever the number it is, 
if we start saying, well, it's not 100, it's only 75. If it's not 75, well, actually, no, it's 50. What we're doing is taking away from the issue. The issue is there's a problem. Even, even if the numbers are small, what we know about mental health and substance use is that it's it has a mushroom effect. It, it doesn't stay the same. It tends to, it, it will grow. Um, mental health issues don't stand static. So even if we have the lowest rates of any industry in the world, let's just say that for, for argument's sake, if we don't address this issue, it's going to grow because that's the nature of mental health and substance use. So you go to your job site, you look at your industry, you look at the folk around you. Does it matter that it's you know five people that are dying or one person dying? Does it really matter what the numbers are? I would argue absolutely not. One person dying is one person too many. It really is. I, I would encourage people, rather than focusing on the numbers and, and how it may make us look, we should be, you know, we should be brave, we should be fearless, we should be leading the charge in, in front of other industries because it's not just the construction industry that has this issue. We want to get out ahead and show the rest of the world this is, or the rest of the world in uh, the rest of the industries, this is how you tackle something before it gets out of hand, before it gets worse. Um, we want to create space. We want to have conversations. We want to really start to talk about what can we do proactively versus really arguing about what the numbers are. The industry is working hard to lead the charge. But the biggest barrier is culture, the broader culture and the industry culture, and the resulting stigma that keeps people silent. Stigma, arguably, is the number one issue that's really impacting uh, the numbers. People that have mental health and substance use issues are the most highly stigmatized and highly marginalized um, people in our society. They really are. Um, and it really comes from a lack of understanding um, from society as a whole. There are still people today who believe that these issues are certainly substance use. Uh, it is an issue of choice. Um, it's not seen as a medical issue, which it actually is. It is 100% a medical issue. It's a health issue. People do not see that. The society still does. There's many, many people that see this as uh, an issue of choice and an issue of lifestyle, right? So somebody chose to do this, therefore they should reap the consequences. You know, they, they made the bed, they lie in it. Um, so stigma really is, is huge. It's a massive uh, issue. I asked Vicky to explain how mental health and addiction issues are intertwined. Many years ago, men mental health issues and substance issues use issues were dealt with separately. Uh, they were dealt as two separate entities and two uh, sorry two separate uh, issues. But the fact is that they they coexist and they can be antecedents to each other. So you um, having a substance use issue can create mental health issues for for a person so recognizing that you know it may not be a traumatic experience that has led to um underlying uh, sorry that has led to substance use but it could be a physical Ill injury for example so working in construction we know that there's a higher injury rate it could be that um we also know that there was at some one point an over prescribing of opioids to construction workers uh, we know that of all prescriptions written for construction workers 20 percent of those were written for opioids at one point, not anymore, but at one point. And so we know that there was this overprescription because we have this higher injury rate. So that in turn can lead to stress and can lead to mental health issues following substance use. And the stress of chronic long-term pain has, is very strongly correlated with depression, for example. 
And then, of course, we have um, trauma issues. So we know that um, early childhood traumas are very strongly correlated with substance use issues. You're more likely to have PTSD as well. Um, and, and so anyone that tries to deal with this issue um, or these issues separately or try to separate them, they're going to fall short. And we know that research tells us that from many, many, many um, years of research there's a whole body of research that tells us that you just can't separate the two issues and it makes sense you know people I always say that happy people generally don't turn to to substance use um, and, and and of course when I, I'm not talking about recreational use I'm, I'm talking about chronic substance use issues you can't separate the two issues mental health and substance use in fact we don't even separate them as a term anymore you'll always hear me talk about mental health and substance use issues I don't talk about them individually Trevor has experienced the negative effects stigma can have on the job site. So I asked him what employers should do to help create a more accepting environment. And the number one thing he said we can do is talk about it on a regular basis. And, and I'll, give you, I'll give you two examples. One I personally was a part of and one I've been a part of for years and years is our, our orientation to a job site when I start first day with employer. Some of those orientations are 15 minutes, some of them are two hours, some of them are three hours. The part around being inebriated on a job site is, or, or intoxicated or having a drug or alcohol problem are very short. If you're inebriated at site, you're out of here. That's it. You're out of here. You're fired. You're done. That's a bad, bad thing. And I agree with that. And nobody should be unsafe on a job site. But the conversation, that, that, that lets you know that your drug use is a bad thing. Like bad, as you're a bad person in my books. I mean, that's what it feels like. And people don't want to let that secret go. So they hold it inside, they hold it inside. And men, especially in this industry, are going home and they're dying. I mean, you know, people aren't overdosing on job sites. They're keeping this secret. They're not talking to others. They're dying alone um, because they, they can't talk about it anywhere. Now, if I went to that same orientation and somebody said, look, hey, if you're caught on a job site, inebriated in any way or suspicious, you know, suspected of it, you're going home. Number one, you're going home. You're off the site, but we're gonna give you some numbers to call. We're gonna check in on you tomorrow. We wanna to get you through. We wanna see you get through this. This is, a, this is a good human thing to do, but it's also financially a great thing for the industry. But where we're struggling to have trades, you know, how much does it cost to replace an employee that you just let go? So th there's a financial model uh, success, uh, component to this. But there's also just being a good human. And, you know, I'm letting people know they're fired. Well, I can't do that. Countless people I've, you know, not countless, but several times in my career as a supervisor, despite my own issues, I'm driving people to a detox. We're letting a guy go off a site. And I'll give you one example. 2016 Christmas time, I had to let a guy go. We, we knew he was struggling. Uh, his, his personal life was up in the air. I strongly suggested that the drugs were there. Looking at myself, I'm like, I think I know this guy's experience. And I was unable to share it with him. Like, the, you know, I could connect with him. I could say things like, like, I think I know what you're going through and I might understand more than you think I do. But finally it comes to a point where the guy's in a rough, he just can't be on site. So I have to let him go. Immediately, I call, I call his, our union. I say, hey, this guy, we've had to let him go. He's in rough shape. They start calling him countless. They're, they're just trying to get a hold of this guy to give him some support. And uh, December 23rd, I get a message from this guy saying, hey, I miss you guys. Uh, you're the best guy I ever worked for. Thanks for looking out for me and doing your best. And by January 2nd, the guy OD'd. We don't know if it was a suicide or an accidental overdose. There's a guy that was sent home alone. Had nobody call, had nobody, you know, they were trying to get a hold of him, but you know, his phone's not a big deal to him in that state. Um, 
and uh, I, that's something I think about every day now uh, after coming coming out with my story and taking the time to get myself healthy, which I didn't know was possible. Like you understand people are stuck, struggling. They don't know that there's a different way of life. Trevor makes important points here that should resonate with employers. There's a moral argument and a business reason for managing addictions more productively with your crew. Here's Vicky again on how employers can have these discussions and offer support. I always say create space. And I know I've said that before, but that I, it's so important because until you create that space, there's no absolutely no way someone's going to come forward. Think about it in terms of um, when we create space to talk about health and safety, physical health and safety in the workplace. We create space and therefore we talk about it. We have an agenda that we're going to be talking about. Create space to talk about mental health and substance use. Now, it might be something as simple as setting up a mental health committee where you each month that committee will decide on a topic of the month and they provide resources on that issue every month and and it can be that easy and that simple we don't have to overcomplicate this stigma really is we tackle it head on we talk about it you you kind of create the space to talk about it which which reduces stigma just by that um, just by doing that one thing alone So let me take this up a level then. Are there enough supports at the provincial level? Are there enough supports at the federal level? Are we, you know, are we making efforts that are ending in dead end really impacts at the societal level? We as an industry can make, make a difference, but is, is society there with us? I don't, I think it's a multi um, layered question. Unfortunately, it's not simple. Is there enough resources? Well, um, There are a lot of resources out there. Are there enough resources? I think the problem is growing exponentially and is far outpacing the resources that society, um, that provincially and federally we are able to or we have access to. Right. Whether we are able to or not, I'm not even I'm not even going to go there. But certainly what we have access to, it's growing at a far greater pace than there are resources coming in. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of resources. There are a lot of resources because I I, I really caution about saying that there aren't resources because we don't want our folk to feel hopeless and helpless. Um, There are there are resources. There definitely are. Um, Is there enough? Um, I I personally my personal opinion on this is no. Unfortunately, the problem is growing and and I think outstripping the, the resources that we have. So the resources that we have within our industry and the resources that we're continuing to develop and and promote to our industry, we we want to make sure that there is uh, awareness within our sector for our employers, for our, our workers, for their families, that, that they know those supports exist. And we need to continue to put um, pressure on our provincial and federal governments to make sure that they they understand that we want to be part of the solution and that we are doing what we can and that they need to continue to do their part in uh, alleviating, uh, helping to alleviate uh, this issue that, as you say, is growing um, exponentially. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more with, with that statement. This is such an important conversation. Whoever you are listening to this, an employer, a tradesperson, a family member, someone in government or a nonprofit organization serving the industry, you have a role to play. And if you or someone you know is suffering, I hope that you're really hearing what Vicky is saying. There are so many people here to help, and that is only going to grow. 
The way we solve this is we solve it together. We can't leave our people to suffer in isolation. Isolation is where addiction and mental health crises absolutely explode and thrive. I mean, you know, uh, love and light and water is what fosters growth and, and well-being. And isolation and darkness is what just builds that self, self-hatred and loathing and despair. And I just, like, I, I can remember the way I felt on March 6th to this day viscerally like I can it's a very tangible feeling that like if I sit in that thought for too long I I can you know I can't believe how bad I felt like I can't believe that feeling of just like I was certain that I was gonna kill myself and I was certain it was gonna be like that was the best option for me I was just wanted that kind of peace that ultimate peace and quiet but I also was convinced that my family and my friends and the people around me would be better off Isn't that crazy? Like thinking my mother would be better off with me dead. She'll get over it. She'll get over it. She'll heal. And then I won't be this constant problem in her basement anymore. This constant thing she worries about. She won't have to worry about me anymore. Thankfully, Trevor found his way out of it. He is being a leader by coming forward to share his pain and his struggle in an effort to help others. And his community is a thousand percent better because of it. I'm not going to say a lot here because I want to leave you with Trevor's words, with his story. Here's the reality. Two and a half years ago, I was ready to take my life or I could ask for help. I chose to ask for help. So I was pounding $3,000 a month into my, uh, of drugs into my system. Two and a half years later of doing the work and continuing to work, I was able to get my job back at Hero Work. I, I came back as a volunteer. I came back on full time the August after I left rehab. The, the January 1st of 2020, I became project lead. January 1st, 2021, I became executive director of Victoria. Uh, March of 2021, I was honored by the Rotary Club with their top, the, the, their highest uh, level of, for an outsider. I'm not a, a club member, but I was given the Paul Harris uh, Fellowship Award recognition. So I'm a Paul, Paul Harris uh, Fellow. And then two weeks ago, this guy right here that two and a half years ago was ready to take his life. This guy, I was just uh, uh, awarded uh, honorary citizen of Victoria. So it can get better. Uh, and I'm just a carpenter. <laughs> you know, I leave my house uh, while I was in treatment and in early recovery, I made a decision that I just want my life to to, to create change and, and to, to make a difference in my community. I don't want to live for myself. I want to live in service of others. And even the tools I have as a carpenter and as a supervisor, uh, can make a huge difference in community, and that's what Hero Works based on. But here I am, right? Like it's a miracle I'm alive, and in two and a half years, that's how much my life can change. So, you know, you think my life will—I go back down, and my life will never be the same. I'll never be able to live without drugs. I'll never amount to anything. I'm a low-life piece of shit, and nobody's ever going to love me again. And here I am. I've got relationship with my 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 ex fiancés back in my life. Uh, I've received relationships with my children that I've never are, are of a quality that I've never had. I can be a father to them, and I can heal all those broken, um, all that the wounds I caused, and I can do it without shame, like without hating myself. I can show up in my life, and and know that everything I've been through has made a difference for me. Uh, that is a tool. I've got a tool out of it that I can use for a positive life in the future, a life worth living. And I can do something good for other people and maybe create a path, a window of hope for them. And so it just takes a just takes a pin of light in the darkness to, 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 for the light to break through, right?
If you or someone you know is suffering from addiction, you're not alone. Grab a pen. I'm going to share some resources with you. The Alcohol and Drug Information and Referral Service number is 1-800-663-1441. The service is here for you 24 hours a day, wherever you are in BC. If you're thinking about suicide, the crisis line is here for you at 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-784-2433, any time of the day or night. Online, you can visit heretohelp.bc.ca. Please don't underestimate the care that is here for you. Thank you for listening to Episode 5 of BCCA's Inside Construction Podcast. 